Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome to the latest episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? I'm not bad, Elliot. I am mentally exhausted. That was the least convincing I'm okay I've ever uh, heard. No, I'm not okay. Like, <laughs> what we were put through at, uh, at the John Smith Stadium, or whatever it's called these days, was just nothing short of torture for all the right and wrong reasons. So, um, I think I'm recovering. <laughs> Yeah, it was an absolutely bonkers Easter weekend, wasn't it? It was just about recovered from Monday's episode in West Yorkshire. But we'll go back to the start. It, it has been a disappointing Easter weekend, you'd have to say, for Blackburn Rovers, collecting just one point from their two fixtures. We'll go back to Good Friday, first and foremost, against Norwich City. A 2-0 home defeat at Ewood Park. Goals from Liam Gibbs and Gabriel Sara were the difference in the match. And I have to say, I thought Norwich were good value for the win. I thought they deserved to take the three points. They had more experience. Rovers looked a little bit wet behind the ears with the performance. They did create some chances, but the game had gone by that point. And individual errors, again, were were, were part of the the undoing at Ewood Park. The first goal is a bit of a mess. Dom Hyam goes up to win the header with Josh Sargent, doesn't win the first contact. It's then flipped in behind. It's a nice ball, but Hayden Carter's way too high compared to the two fullbacks. Joe Rackin-Castell hasn't quite got the pace to get back in. I'm intrigued what you think. Do you think Ainsley Pears should have done better? Should he have been quicker off his line to shut down the angle? Because from my point of view, I don't really think you can attach any blame to Pears whatsoever with that goal. But more people I'm speaking to seem to think Pears should have been quicker off his line to close down the angle. And I suppose when you do watch it back, he does travel a long way with the ball. But for me, it's a really good finish. I think if he'd come off his line and Gibbs had just knocked it round him and gone round him, you've gone, well, why has the goalkeeper come out and made his decision for him? So I, I don't really think that you can label Pears with much blame for that goal, personally. I don't think I'm blaming Pears per se. I think it was in a really interesting area of the pitch, the kind of no-man's land between your centre-backs and the goalkeeper. I think we are so accustomed to Thomas Kaminsky being actively off his line. That is Thomas Kaminsky's goalkeeping style. That's not a a criticism on Ainsley Pears. That's just not his style. I think Kaminsky sweeps that ball and, and he does that. I don't think it's a mistake from Pears per se. I think the ball, it was actually a strange kind of passage of play, really, that just 
Hayden Carter ended up coming out of centre back, left a big space, and then it seemed like JRC. I'm not sure why he was so high. I didn't really notice it live, but I've watched it back because Hayam's obviously gone up to win the first mm. ball with Sargent. Norwich are only playing one up front. So I don't really know why Carter's as high as he is, or maybe he's stepped up and the rest of the, the two fullbacks haven't come up. But given he's the common denominator, you you would argue, yeah, that's why right. He stepped up really. And I was sat in the Riverside on um, on Friday, and just me looking at the passage of play, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my word, Gibbs is through. So if I'm thinking that as a fan, and it's all just happened really quickly, Ainsley Pears, who is taking up a, a quite logical starting position for me as a goalkeeper, would. Instantly, Gibbs is through. I think JRC stutters a little bit as well, thinking that Pears is going to come out. And I just think the whole thing was just unfortunate and in that no-man's-land position. So unlike the Huddersfield game, which we'll come on to, I'm not attaching any blame to Ainsley Pears for that one. I think it's just reflective of what we've been used to seeing with Thomas Kaminsky and and his sweeper-keeping. Yeah, I think so. For me, I attach quite a lot of blame to Yondal Thomason for the defeat on Friday. I was a little bit critical. I thought his team selection was wrong. I thought leaving out Sorba Thomas was a real mistake. Not particularly again. And I tried to write this this week and I hope it's come across that I don't necessarily am reflecting on Thomas is a miles better player than Ryan Hedges. But for the balance of the team, and we've spoken about this before on the podcast, having a right footer on that right-hand side contrasting with Brereton Diaz being inverted on the left, with JRC being so central most of the time. You need a right footer on that side because for Norwich, and for some reason, all of Rovers' attacks were down the right-hand side, particularly in that first half. Hedges, he just wants to come inside and, and Norwich could just funnel the ball into central areas and they've got enough bodies and enough players to snuff out Rovers and who were un, unable to unpick the lock. Lewis Travis spent most of his time on the right wing. And I know Travis does make those darting runs into the right channel when JRC leave that space. But he was on his own. And, and you're asking Lewis Travis, who is not a winger by any stretch of the imagination, to be your chief creator playing on a right in the right wing area. And it just didn't work. I thought it was a real mistake not to start Sober Thomas, especially given we knew that he wouldn't be available to play against Huddersfield. He was ineligible to play his parent club. So I thought that was strange. I thought it was a little bit weird not to make any changes at half-time as well, given the manner of the first half and the lack of chances that were created. And then he didn't make changes until 65 minutes, bringing Thomas on when the game was already, you know, it was too late by that point because Norwich had already scored the second. There was a crucial moment that Thomason cited where JRC lifts the ball over Angus Gunn, but it's wide of the post. And then, of course, they go down the other end. It's a nice move from Norwich. And Sora fires it across Ainsley Pears. Again, I think, no, I'm not. I think Pears is getting a bit of a tough ride, if I'm being completely honest, for this Norwich game. Because I've heard, again, I've seen on social media and people I've spoke to saying, could Pears get a hand and tip it over? It's a brilliant strike. I'm just not having that on <laughs> on that second goal. That yeah. That's not a, not a mistake from Ainsley Pears. Let's just put that to bed. Yeah, no, completely. It, it, it was a weird game because Rovers did have some chances at 2-0. But it... It's, I've always sort of said it's quite easy to play when you're 2-0 down. You know, it was too little, too late, ultimately. And Gallagher, we're going to talk about him in a bit more detail shortly, but he had an opportunity, didn't get onto a loose ball that was bobbling around the box, where you just want your number nine to be clinical, to be that poacher and put it in. Gun got in front of him, cleared it. He didn't quite get onto a cross from Pickering. Probably the, the best move of the match. Um, Adam Wharton, who'd come on as a substitute, flip, flipping it out wide to Broughton Diaz. Nice back heel into the into the uh, space for Pickering, crossed across the box. Gallagher couldn't quite get on the end. Dolan's rebound was then saved by Gunn. And there was even one cleared off the line in stoppage time, but 
Thomas had said after the match that he felt there wasn't much between the sides and they were clinical and used their, their experience, their Premier League know-how. I think that's a little bit generous on Rovers, if I'm being honest. I thought it was men against boys a little bit and Norwich were, were deserved winners, in my opinion. Uh, they were deserved winners. And I'm actually quite sad about this game, Elliot, because if we just layer on the different context pieces to this. So this game followed the Birmingham City defeat, which was a really disappointing defeat that we reflected on. It was a game on Good Friday in the sunshine. We had a brilliant ticket offer, 18,000 fans in the ground. We'd highlighted this as a playoff rival who we needed to beat. We'd highlighted Ewood Park as a place where we usually play well. Everything pointed towards Rovers needing to attack this game from the off. And I think you could work out in the first 10 minutes of that football match that this wasn't a game that Rovers were attacking. And that really, really disappointed me. As soon as that game kicked off, we're just doing that tentative, passing around the back, Carter to Hyam, across to Pickering, back to Hyam, across to Carter, over to JRC. Really kind of laboured and, and a tentative start to the game. Then throw in a couple of errors, uncharacteristically from Dom Hyam. It just made the whole place nervy. So what is the point in having kid for a quid? <laughs> and cheap tickets and getting everyone in that ground, if we then start the game in that manner and totally deflate the crowd, I think the crowd were, in that first 10 minutes, I think the wind was out of our sails. You could just sense it because Rovers were, the fans, we were looking at the Rovers that we've seen like away from home, for example. Oh, here they we played, go. They played into Norwich's hands, didn't they? Because if you're Norwich yeah. coming into that atmosphere, you'll be aware of all this, yeah. the magnitude of the game. First 10 minutes, you'd be like, quiet in the crowd. And yeah. Rovers played into the hands with that. Oh, we cry and Yeah, we did it ourselves. Norwich didn't need to do it. And then, obviously, then throw in the goal. And, you know, say la vie. And, and that's game dead and buried at that point. So, I'm really disappointed because I think the club, you know, whether it's Steve Waggett doing the ticket offers or it's JDT and his approach to a really important game, the club had a really real opportunity with this game to get some people back through the turnstiles, to get people falling back in love with Rovers. I suspect that there were people there at Ewood Park for the first time on Good Friday this season or the first time in a while that were thinking, why the hell did I even bother? So that's a real shame. And I just think that we were far too easy to play against. And tactically, the stuff, as you've said there, it was quite obvious that the the patterns of play down the right-hand side was going to be our angle of attack. So, you know, be brave as a manager, JDT. Get Silver Thomas on after 30 minutes. You've seen managers do that at all levels in, in football sometimes. Make a bold change and go and attack that game. And if you're not doing it after 30 minutes, certainly do it at half-time and, and do the things that, as fans, we were screaming out for at half-time and, and reflecting on that. So just overall, a really disappointing game, Elliot. And... My overwhelming feeling is Norwich haven't had to get out of any kind of gear or get into fifth or sixth gear to beat us. I think we beat ourselves. I think we were far too passive, far too tentative and fully deserved to lose that game. It's interesting with Thomason and the substitutions because early in the season, quite often he made changes, particularly half-time, that we quite often see double changes at half-time. But certainly as the season's worn on, maybe he's feels the team's more stable, which they have been generally. He's not done it, and he's been almost a little bit reactive, I felt, at times in certain moments. It's easy to um, criticise substitutions, and we've got a good example of one where it did work, which we'll come on to in the Huddersfield game. But, yeah, it just wasn't a great afternoon, and I think the game was summed up to me by the tale of two number nines. Josh Sargent was absolutely fantastic for Norwich. He, he was an, a real fawn in the side of Hayden Carter and Dom Hyam. 
Dom Hyam probably had his worst game for certainly. I couldn't tell you a particularly worst performance from Dom Hyam. Maybe the Burnley or Preston game. He really struggled because Sargent was a, a real nuisance. He was physical. He was aggressive. He ran in behind. He was came to feet, and he gave them both a really tough ride. At the other end of the pitch, Sam Gallagher. It, I've said a, a few times, you know, I've been generally I've been quite a Sam Gallagher defendant this season when he's coming for criticism. I do think he's got attributes that are an asset for a championship team. But there's no doubt that Blackburn aren't getting enough from Sam Gallagher right now from their number nine. It is a little bit chicken and egg, and I know I've said this a few occasions that he's got to get the right service and you've got to give him a chance. And at times he was, and he has been scrapping for very little service. But compare it to the Sheffield United game, for example, at Ewood Park, where I actually thought he played really well, particularly first off, on very little service. He was offering, he was physical, he was winning aerial duels, he was running to channels, chasing his own flick-ons. They're not getting enough from their number nine. And it was a real contrast for me of how good Sargent was as a lone striker and how poor and bereft of confidence Gallagher looked. And I know it's stating the obvious, but they've just got to sign a number nine in the summer. That's got to be the first priority. And not even necessarily to replace Gallagher, but he needs some proper competition. He needs someone to ease the burden as well, because up until Monday, he'd started eight games in a row. How many of those games had he deserved to start? He probably could have come out a lot earlier. And he didn't start yesterday, potentially, because he had a knock. So Jack Vale shouldn't be Blackburn Rovers number two. Harry Leonard shouldn't be Blackburn Rovers number two for a team chasing and really wanting to get in the playoffs, in my opinion. They should be third choice, for example. They need a senior alternative in the summer to Sam Gallagher, which I also think could bring out the best in Gallagher again, because he is an asset at times in the right form, playing in the right system, in the right environments to be an asset at championship level. But there's no doubt at the minute Norwich had a striker that was causing all sorts of problems at a real focal point, and Rowe has really missed that. Yeah, and I think the th- things that you've just said there, you're right to raise. So if you are a side that is going for the top six, you do need more from your number nine. Um, and strikers ultimately are judged on their goals and how often they put the ball in the back of the net. And you can do the maths. The sides that have strikers who can put the ball in the back of the net are usually the ones who are higher up the division. And there's been a few chances this season. There's been a few things within the penalty area, things where you think, Sam Gallagher, can you just be switched on? Can you just be expecting this ball? Can you just have that instinct that we want strikers to have? You know, they're the things that have disappointed me the most. Let's just add some balance onto it. Um, Sam Gallagher, there are stats out there that show the amount of games of football that Blackburn Rovers win with Sam Gallagher in the side. I think we invariably win more games when he is playing than than, you know, lose games. Um, There is no doubt in his work rate. There is no doubt in the things that he brings collectively for the team. However, when you are at this business end of the season, when you are 1-0, 2-0 down at home to Norwich, that chance that he had in the six-yard box, it's got to be put in the back of the net. When your chips are down away from home, when Rovers aren't playing well, you've got to have a striker showing for the ball, doing those things that you've said. And it's these areas, as you say, Elliot, that have let Sam Gallagher down. I don't mind the work rate. I love the work rate. In fact, I love Sam Gallagher. I think he's a fantastic human being. I, I'm a Sam Gallagher fan yeah. generally. I want to see him do well. This is not yeah. bashing him, but we have to be fair and reflective on the, the game scene. And right now, his form is not befitting of a team facing no. the top six. When you are six games to go in the season, we are absolutely right now to expect more from Sam Gallagher. With the money that we've paid, with the wages that he's on, 
with the areas that we're trying to attack this season, we are right as fans to expect more. And as you say, that's not us bashing him as a human being. That's not us bashing him in terms of his work rate and application for the team. That is us rightly just expecting more from a number nine, which is the most important area on a football pitch. In terms of positives, great to see Adam Wharton back on the pitch. His first Championship minute since New Year's Day. Of course, he got a start at Huddersfield. And I think you generally just saw what he offers this Blackburn Rovers team. He's a little bit rusty still. He's still little bits where he's not played properly in the first team for the best part of four months. So he's, he's not going to be at his absolute peak of his powers. But I think you saw, particularly with the move where he picks the ball, sprays it wide to Brereton Diaz, and it creates that crossing opportunity for Pickering what he offers this team. Yeah, and I actually thought that centre midfield was the root of all of our problems against Norwich. Um, I thought Lewis Travis had one of his worst games that he's had in a very long time. I thought he was very, very poor. Um, I actually think he contributed to the second goal because he was just way off the mark, which then forced JRC to press into a space where he shouldn't have been going. And then obviously Norwich attacked down that left-hand side and get the goal with the overload. I thought Travis was poor. Tyler Morton's obviously had his critics this season. When Lewis Travis is playing poor, it really exposes Tyler Morton. And I thought he also struggled alongside Lewis Travis. So I thought both of them were collectively poor against Norwich on Good Friday. So Adam Morton came on. You're absolutely right. You could probably make a case for Adam Morton being Rovers' man of the match <laughs> with the level of his performance and, and when he came on. Um, I thought he came on. He was brave. He wanted the ball. He was positive. He was on the front foot. The Brereton thing you just mentioned there. It's like, why has this kid not been playing? And, you know, I'm not going to reopen that debate because we've spoken about that before, Elliot. But, you know, when we're comparing Wharton and Morton uh, in recent weeks, you know, for me, it's it's quite a simple equation now. You know, Adam Wharton has to start alongside Lewis Travis, especially with John Buckley injured. I agree. And I think we've made that point. And we? I think we've just got to be happy that he's back in the first team fold. And he started at Huddersfield. It was his first start since November the 1st in the Championship, the 1-0 away defeat to Coventry City. So much to unpack from this game at the John Smith Stadium. Rovers started well, first and foremost. It was a good start. You were like, we need a response from Norwich. We want them to start on the front foot. And they gave gave all the fans that. You know, it's a really good away crowd, really vocal. I was very impressed. I have to say they stayed with them throughout the entirety of the, the contest. And I do genuinely believe that they had a big impact in that second half. Lots of the ball didn't create buckets in that opening 15 minutes. Probably the best chance was a good effort from JRC with his left foot. Probably should score. Good save from Vaklic, which is not the first time we're going to be saying that on this podcast. And then just a five-minute spell of absolute madness. They they dominated between both boxes, but they were bullied inside the two 18-yard boxes in that first half, and their biggest frailties were exposed. Pre-match, you're looking at where could Rovers potentially get done. You're thinking, well, it's quite a small technical team. He's you know he's taken Gallagher out of the team. He's gone with you know, Wharton, Morton and Travis and Smodix, none of those are big, Dolan as well, that none of them are a physical presence. Don't give away any silly set pieces. That's probably an area. And probably you would say in transition, particularly in that left-hand side for Huddersfield, where Karoma would row into the space left by JRC if he started wandering centrally. It's a real mess, isn't it, the first goal? Pears and Carter, complete miscommunication. You've got to think that Ainsley Pears hasn't been loud enough, hasn't been vocal enough, because... He's there. It's an easy clearance. And why would Hayden Carter take matters into his own hands if he knows his goalkeeper's coming? So we weren't there. We don't know. Maybe it was a loud shout and Carter ignored it. But 
having watched a lot of football between us, you'd have to go on the balance of probability that Ainsley Pez just wasn't loud enough. It's a cross, cross into the box. Tom Lees gets first contact. I'm not blaming Pez for the save at all because Tyler Morton gets a touch just in front of him. It's actually a decent reflex save. It just happens to pop up and Matty Pearson heads it down. My biggest uh, criticism on the first goal in terms of the actual corner itself would be why are we not winning first contact? That's where it, it fell down, not Pears pushing it in the air because Morton gets a touch right in front of him. But it was such an avoidable soft goal, wasn't it? Oh, it was so disappointing. So everything that I've said about the start against Norwich and how tentative and passive we were, it was the polar opposite. I was absolutely delighted with that first 15 minutes yesterday. Um, that is how we should have attacked the Norwich game. Um, you know, we were getting forward. Um, we were really positive with our passing. We were quick. It was like the Sheffield United home game all over again. And you're kind of thinking, right, OK, we've got over that disappointment of Norwich now. Um, so to lose the goal in the manner that we did, I was quite close to the action yesterday, Elliot, because I was down with my two lads in the family friendly area, as they call it. Fam so family friendly that you're right next to the Huddersfield fans who were just chanting stuff constantly at you. But that's another story. I was quite close down to the action. I'm pretty certain that there was no shout from Ainsley Pears because um, the, the crowd were quite quiet at that point. Huddersfield had seen the start that we had, so they weren't making too much noise at that point. So I think I would have heard a shout had Ainsley Pears made it. I don't think he did make a shout. And I think that that goal and or the corner is completely avoidable if Ainsley Pears is just louder, braver, and takes ownership of that situation. And I think the question mark we then just hang ourselves here is, we've all been talking about Ainsley Pears versus Thomas Kaminsky. Have we exposed here the downside of not playing your number one? Rovers fans can have their view on that one. Then you're right, the corner just, uh, it was just a shower really, wasn't it? Just, you know, when you were talking about Sorba Thomas not playing against Norwich, why is Sam Gallagher not playing against Huddersfield for the reasons that you've said? You know, what's JDT thinking about with all of this, particularly... Well, he had got a knock, which is what we found out mm. post-match, which was why Gallagher... Because we asked, why did Leonard come on before Gallagher, basically? How, you know, mm. not that we don't want Leonard to come on, but if he's been so adamant Ed, Leonard's not ready for the first team, to then put him on before Gallagher was a little bit jarring and he, he had a knock, so that was probably quite a lot yeah. of it. Fair dues then in, in that regard. But yeah, just a, a really poorly defended goal. We've still got players in that box that can win headers. There's still Dom Hyam, there's still Hayden Carter, there's still Ben Brereton Diaz. You know, there's players that can win that aerially if we need to and just slow to react to the second ball and just so, so galling, Elliot, to concede the goal in the manner we did after the start that we'd had. And we know what happens usually this season with Rovers going a goal down. Difficult. And as you say, their crowd from that moment were just absolutely on it. And I could obviously hear them quite loudly because I was quite close to them. And they were absolutely a 12th man for Huddersfield yesterday. The second goal is equally as poor. Lack of concentration. Ball, it's such a simple goal, isn't it? Hungbo gets down the right, gets half a yard. Could Pickering stop the crossbows, you could argue. But Hayden Carter, he's just got to take responsibility for that. It's really poor. It's a a lapse of concentration to let Jack Radoni get in front of him. It's too, You can see the panic on his face as you watch the replays where he's realised what has happened. He gets a bit on it. It goes into the back of the net. It's an absolute disaster where Rovers have probably had 80% of the ball. They've been the better team and two shots and Huddersfield are 2-0 up. And given the record, you think they're done. 
You know, if if, if this was, I said this to um, one of the media guys at Blackburn Rovers who I was sat, sat next to on, if it was any other match and you were watching these two teams as a neutral, you'd go, well, there's every chance Blackburn will come back into it because of the game. Having been watched every single Blackburn game and been scarred by it and know the record, you think they're done. There's no chance. And they carried on in a similar vein for the second half, but Huddersfield tails were up. As you say, the fans were really vocal. They were loud. It was Neil Warnock's perfect plan, and they were counter-attacking pretty well as well. And there were opportunities where they could have got a third. JRC and Carter went into the book for bringing down relatively cynical challenges on uh, bringing down Huddersfield attackers on the counter. And you go into half time thinking we've been here before. Surely, there's, what, what, what evidence have we got that Blackburn Rovers are going to come back? I was really surprised he didn't make any subs. And this is where, as I was talking about substitutions earlier, I genuinely, I would have taken Joe Rankin Costello off at half time. Absolutely, I would have because he was booked. He'd not had a great first half. Karoma was causing issues on the counter-attack. I'd have 100% brought Callum Britton on at half-time, which explains why I am sat in the press box writing about football and not stood on the <laughs> touchline making managerial decisions. Unbelievable half from him in particular, but just the team as a whole. They scored at the perfect time, you have to say. Lovely little one-two between JLC and Dolan. I didn't quite give the reverse pass from Dolan uh, as much credit live as I have since I've seen the replay. I probably marked him down a little bit harshly on my player ratings. Really good one-two. Brilliant finish. His first championship goal. He's not scored in 53 appearances for Rovers in the championship. Lovely little dink over the goalkeeper for 2-1. And then it was just an absolute onslaught. There's the, the Harry Leonard save. Tyler Morton hits the post with a pass. And that's when you're thinking it's just not going to be Rovers' day. Vaslich pulled off some great saves, but it was like him and JRC JR- genuinely could have walked away with four goals. One in the first half, the goal he scored, the header which Hedges turns in, the one at the near post, the little Cantonar-esque dink. You just think it's not going to happen, but lovely ball in, it has to be said, from Tyler Morton onto the head of JRC, saved by Vaslich into the path of Ryan Hedges, turns it in, and that's two all. And God almighty, that was the least Blackburn Rovers deserved. They deserved a point. And that second half, just re it feels like it could be a really important turning point in the season. It's a point on the board that actually kept them in the playoff places. But more importantly, it's the second point they've taken this season from losing positions. The the away end were right behind them all all game. I have to say that was probably the Sheffield United away end was brilliant. But that was a really, really good away end as well because there was a lot of adversity where they could have turned on the players, particularly after mm-hmm. Friday, and I didn't hear any real murmurs of discontent. It was just roar and roar of encouragement and I really do think they helped suck the ball into the net for that equaliser. Yeah, let's piece all of this together then, Elliot. So, my word, the uh, the polar opposites in my emotions, the difference at an hour of football or, you know, 45 minutes of football, 15 minutes of half time break can make. Um, well, let's start. What what did you tell your two children at halftime, Ryan? I, I apologise to them. Um, so, let's tell the, the listeners the full story. So, I had some car problems on Good Friday getting up to Blackburn. So, um, my missus refused to let me take the boys up uh, to Huddersfield in my own car. So, she offered to drive. So, not only did I subject my uh, two children to the first half of, of Huddersfield, um, my missus drove us up to Huddersfield. So, I had to explain to her why the hell have I dragged the whole family up to a rainy Huddersfield? So I was in a dark place at halftime, not just because of football, <laughs> but for family dynamics. But 
you know, on a serious note, um, it was pretty desperate stuff at halftime. Um, and I don't want to dig out the players too much because we do have a young squad, but I'll just say it as it is. We just well and truly bottled that first half. So the manner of that second goal, you know, when you concede a goal, you know, you keep it tight for a little bit, but to concede a goal within five minutes and just drag their crowd even more into it. We naive, just, wasn't it? Completely naive. We just absolutely froze. We did not know what to do. We could not cope. And we just looked a sorry state at halftime. So as I say, that's the reason why I'm apologising to my children at halftime. And really, with we can come on to the results in the division later on, but with the expected results, I was thinking, my word, we could be looking at 8th, ninth by the end of today in a really desperate position with some tough games coming up. So I was feeling really quite sorry for myself at halftime. But I think the important thing for the fans was the earliness of that JRC goal. I think the fact that we came out, I think, did we get a corner or something? I think we had an attack straight away. Yeah, I think it was early corner. The, Bez got down the left, and I think that's he got right for a corner. I was like, okay, there's some intense. So that early corner got the crowd straight behind us. Then we get the goal after 46 minutes. That makes the world a difference. And then, as you say, Elliot, this <laughs> the emotions I had in that second half. It was just, I want to say it was torture because it was torture because we were absolutely sensational, and to not get the equaliser and not have our just rewards going into stoppage time, it would have been an absolute travesty had we not equalised in that game of football. You could actually argue it's probably a travesty that we've not won that game of football, but it was torture. Just, you know, the ball hitting the post, as you say, JRC's chip, the other chancey, all these different chances that we were having and the chances that we were creating. I was thinking it's just not going to be our day. And then you're staring down the barrel of losing 2-1 to Huddersfield, knowing the results that are coming up. And then I'm still feeling sorry for myself. So the elation when Ryan Hedges, just because of how that game had gone, do you want to know how stupid I was feeling? I was actually expecting Hedges to miss. Like, even even though he was that close, it was, that's how ridiculous that game was in the second half. I just thought, until I saw that net bulging, just what relief and, hoisted my youngest into the air, nearly threw him onto the pitch and just pure relation. And you're right, the away end was just a joy to be part of in that second half. And we absolutely did play our part. You could just sense it. You could just sense something was coming. Yeah, it was It was a, very much a tale of two halves. It's so hard from a journalist's point of view to score. Obviously, we do player ratings on the whistle. It's so hard to score players when you have two halves so contrasting. As I said to you... I would have taken Joe Rankin Costello off at half time on a booking. Probably would have given him a five. I think that's why I gave him at half time. Yeah. And then he puts in a nine second half performance. So what do you do? Average it out at seven? <laughs> I gave him an eight in the end. But it's so hard to to balance that, really. But a brilliant, brilliant second half performance. You know, there were bits that were, were a concern. I thought the, the centre halves, having having come away from Birmingham thinking the two centre backs were Brover's best players. I actually think the two centre-halves have probably been Rovers' worst players over the two Easter performances, really. I think High in particular against Norwich and probably Carter more against Huddersfield. They both were a little bit suspect. Ainsley Pears, obviously there's a few question marks on him. We'll touch on him when we go into our whole preview and, and what the team might look like. And the attack didn't quite click. On the positives, I thought the midfield balance was a lot better. I thought Adam Wharton obviously gives them something that we've already spoken about. It gives them someone who can progress the ball and a left foot as well in that those left channels, which he, he combined pretty nicely with Brereton Diaz at times. Brereton Diaz didn't really get a kick because 
they got Matty Pearson man marking him, following him all around the pitch. So felt a bit sorry for him in that regard. But he's just not getting into the goal scoring chances at the minute. And it's not his fault. And I don't for a second ever believe his head's not in it or anything like that. But when you know that he's he's off in the summer to Villarreal, fans quite quickly can turn on that mm. sort of situation. I want to give a little bit of praise to Tyler Morton. And I think he's someone that we've rightly criticised this season. I've rightly wrote and written, you know, pieces where they haven't reflected brilliantly on him because at times he's really struggled. But he's definitely a better footballer or he suits, he's more suited in midfield playing in a midfield three as that number six, as the deep line playmaker, particularly in a game like that where Rovers had so much of the ball. I think he played quite well. I was quite, I thought he did well. And the cross, I think, you know, if this was Adam Wharton that had put that cross in from the opposite side, I think Blackburn fans mm. would be raving about it. It's a really good delivery in a clutch moment of the game onto Joe Rankin-Costello's head, which creates the equaliser. And without that, Rovers have lost. He had a lot of the ball. I thought he used it quite intelligently. His set pieces, someone's got to take him off set pieces. I don't know yeah. what it is about Blackburn Rovers. There is a problem of signing players that are set-piece specialists. Sorba Thomas's set pieces have not been good since he came into the club. Tyler Morton's haven't. Hedges, nobody can take a corner, basically, it would appear. But clearly he's got some quality because that was a, a cross from deep. Really mm. good delivery, but separate point. But my God, what are they doing with set pieces? But I like the balance of the midfield more. I thought Morton having Wharton in there as well. I, I thought Travis was quiet. I don't think he's had, he had a great game. But that midfield three, I liked the balance more. But equally, I don't want Sam Smodix playing wide. Or I, If Sam Smodix is going to play, which he should, he needs to be in that three. So how you gel those four into three positions, basically, I'm not quite sure. Because you'd probably say Travis, Wharton and Smodix would be your best three combination. But then do Travis would be the deepest of those three. Does he have the ball, the, the, you know, the ball progression from deep rows to, to punch it into Smodix and Wharton? I think... Rather than play, we've generally played with two sixes and a number 10 with Smodix as the number 10 and, and two deeper. I think Smodix is perfectly capable of playing as a roaming number eight. I would, I would, if you, you if your worry is I can't play Adam Wharton because he's, he might go wandering. We'll play two number eights and play Travis or Morton in that position. But if you don't play Travis, then Morton, Smodix and Wharton's very lightweight, isn't it? So I'm not sure what the balance needs to be, but I thought it was better anyway against Huddersfield is my general point. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right to reserve some praise for Tyler Morton because, you know, let's all remember he's a 20-year-old lad uh, still learning his trade. I think you're right to reflect the the formational elements that suit him. Um, we've spoken about before that in a two-man midfield, Tyler Morton's game is receiving the football, being a bit of a glue for a football and then finding the pass rather than progressing forward. So that number six position that you've mentioned there is absolutely perfect for him where he can see everything in front of him Generally and also not pressed as high either exactly and he can receive the ball really easily off Carter and and Hyam and and indeed as we saw in that second half effectively operate like a third center back to allow Pickering and, and Rankin Costello to go forward as well so that game absolutely suited him um to a T in that regard and in that first half do you know what he was not the worst performer in that central midfield area I think the whole three in the center midfield were bullied you know you know when we were talking um couple of weeks ago about Josh Lauren, another player who Rovers need is someone like Jonathan Hogg. We just need someone like that in centre mid, just a, a is that championship. Is Travis is meant to be doing? 
But, you know, when we're talking about the experience of the championship, that age factor, you know, someone like that just to guide these young players through. I was just looking at someone like him and thinking, yeah, we can use someone like you and all just to to help out. But that I've, I've segued completely. Tyler Morton's second half was absolutely the start of everything good in terms of our attacks. Um, I'd love to know how many touches he had in that second half because I think he probably had the majority because I think it was wave after wave for Rovers and invariably it was going back to Morton to restart another attack and he was always showing, he was brave, he wanted the ball. So you're really right to to raise Tyler Morton's second half performance. It, it was very, very good. Yeah, I thought he played well. Interesting off the bench as well. We finally got Harry Leonard's debut, having called for what well, I don't understand why he wasn't on the bench against Norwich. I said I wrote that on on Saturday morning. You've got five, six games to go. Like you've got to have a striking alternative with Bradley Dack out injured, with um, Vale injured, with Sober Thomason obviously not eligible to play in this game. He had to be on the bench. He came on. He nearly scored. Decent effort. Well saved. What what was your thoughts on Harry Leonard? I thought he did really well. He's coming into a game in really difficult circumstances. You've got a vibrant Huddersfield crowd. You've got Rovers 2-1 down and we are a team that invariably doesn't come from behind. You've got things happening in the game where you're thinking, is this going to be Rovers day? The fact that Harry Leonard has had two big opportunities, actually. He had the one that he made for himself, you know, the one that was turned around the post, the chance that you said there, which for the record, I thought that was going in. I, I what a fairy tale moment that would have been if Harry Leonard is coming off the bench and, and equalising for Rovers. It was a good save from Backlitch. Um, but then I thought he was really unlucky on that second one when Tyler Morton hit the post. Yeah. Just so unlucky. And what, again, what a moment it would have been. But let's just go back to the Sam Gallagher conversation that we've been having today. A lot of what you want from a striker is just pure positional play. So let's reflect on someone like Jordan Rhodes. He was. <laughs> Always an enigma for me when I'm describing Jordan Rhodes in his peak for Rovers because, actually, what does Jordan Rhodes do? Well, he just scores goals because, actually, he's not the quickest. He's not the strongest. He's not the most skillful. He's not the best in the air. But, boy, he knows where the back of the net is. And that is just pure positional play. The fact that Harry Leonard has come on and actually crafted an opportunity for himself is a real green shoot for me to say, actually, yeah, this kid knows where he needs to be in the box all that stuff we were talking about Sam Gallagher earlier, are we having the same conversation about him? Maybe not, because he's doing things outside of the box and doing the other things, the work rate that we've spoken about. So what we saw in that little cameo from Harry Leonard really gave me, it whetted the appetite, actually, that we've got someone who really knows where the goal is um, coming through the academy, which is a great sign when we're going to be losing Brereton Diaz in the summer and we're going to be losing Sorba Thomas back. You know, that's two attacking players that we need to replace. So if Harry Leonard is coming through our academy, brilliant. And I thought he he handled the situation perfectly. Yes, of course, he's still going to have to bulk out. He's probably a bit similar to what Hayden Carter was a couple of years ago, probably looking a bit slight, a bit thin. But that'll come. He'll bulk out in the gym. He'll get stronger. And I've got no doubt he'll go strength to strength for Rovers. So I thought, Really good cameo in some difficult circumstances in some awful weather. <laughs> what a time to make your debut. The script really was written for him. I'd have loved that goal to it, that shot to have gone into the back of the net. I really like Leonard from what I've seen at the under-21s, and I think he's worth a shot on the bench. I'm not saying you'll use him in every game, but I, I don't really see an argument with the current injuries until Dax back at least as to why you wouldn't have Harry Leonard on the bench right now, because... 
Mm. They've only got two. Att- they only had two attacking changes they could make really on Friday against Norwich with with Thomas and Dolan. Again, Dolan didn't come until the eighty third minute against Norwich. That was weird. And no, Bradley, yeah, Bradley Dack. Sorry to to interrupt there. Bradley Dack for me is the only one in our squad at the moment that has that instinct in the box. Yeah, you know the the Jordan Rhodes element that I was just describing there. Bradley Dack is the only one. So if Harry Leonard is showing some green shoots of that, we need to nurture that and get him involved where we can, as you say. Yeah, with five games to go or six games to go for Rovers, they've just got nothing to lose in that element. So I, I would definitely have him on the bench, in and around, getting on. And and it was really crazy that he, he got half an hour as well. So a fair fair play to Thomas, and he didn't just stick him on for the last ten minutes. He did give him you know thirty you know half an hour by the time the the ninety five was up. One incident that you've probably seen better than I from that away end, Tyrese Dolan and the ball boy that I think we should probably discuss. Thomason went very Arsene Wenger like when asked about it after the game, said he didn't see it. I've seen some videos where I think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup and there's not a lot in it. There's another one from behind the goal where actually does give him a proper shove, which doesn't look great. There's been no suggestion of any further charges or, or anything like that or retrospective action because I think it was dealt with at the time, albeit he wasn't booked for the incident. That could change. You know, we're only recording at lunchtime on Tuesday morning, so it's very much still in the aftermath of the game. What was your angle on the incident? Yeah, so the videos that you've seen um, is pretty much what I saw. So he did shove the ball boy. Um, It happened. The videos (laughs) speak for themselves. And obviously the Huddersfield fans have reacted very seriously to that. Um, Both sets of Huddersfield fans, the ones to the right of the Rovers fans and and the ones that were immediately to my left in, in that side stand. This incident makes me a bit nervous, actually, Elliot, because... Although the officials have seen it, acknowledged it, the linesman and the referee were right in front of where I was sat having a real deep conversation about this. So they discussed that at length. And I've got no doubt that the linesman saw it. I've got no doubt that the referee and linesman have come to a decision on it. So actually, are you allowed to take retrospective action in those circumstances? I'm not sure of the rules. Um, I don't I think-, think so. The only but, thing I know, I know if they booked him, for example, they definitely couldn't have. Yeah. The fact there was no card is the only bit that puts doubt in my mind, but it was dealt with. So I think not. Yeah. But the fact he wasn't carded is the only thing that makes me a little doubtful. The thing that's making me nervous is like what we've just seen in the Liverpool game, for example, like what we've just seen with Alexander Mitrovic. I think it's a bit flavour of the month stuff at the moment mm. to penalise these types of incidents. So I think if there is an angle... Uh, i.e. because they're allowed to relook at it because even though the referee and linesman have seen it, if there is an option for them to relook at that and retrospectively do something, I do fear that uh, Ty Dolan is going to get some punishment here because the video speaks for itself. He's shoved a ball boy. We've seen the Eden Hazard incident about 10 years ago, I think it was. You know, the precedent has been yeah. set. So I do worry. So we've just got to hope, I think, as Rovers fans, that there isn't a window for retrospective action because the referee and linesman have seen it. And I've got no doubt that the referee and linesman have seen it because I saw the conversation they were having about that incident right in front of me. My gut feeling is it's a... Can we not just move on a little bit? Like, it's not he's not hurt. And that's what I Sign think him as a well. shirt. I'm sure he'll, he's fine. I don't know what he did that provoked that. It's heat of the moment. He didn't kick him. It's not It's not like the Hazard one was where, where he kicked him because he was trying to get the ball from under him. 
Maybe I'm being a little bit... That's the saving grace, I think. So what would the punishment be for someone pushing someone with two hands in the chest on a football pitch? You might have some it, refs that only... card, depending how high up he pushed Exactly. Him. The fact that he's not kicked him and he's not pushed him in the face, I yeah. think, in particular, is crucial. So maybe he might get away with it. It's just the thing that's making me anxious, Elliot, is just the image of the game stuff with what's happened with this linesman, with Alexander Mitrovic. That's just the thing that's making me a bit nervous. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I agree with you on that. So let's let's round this all up. We've we've discussed the game. The top six picture as things stand, Blackburn Rovers remain in sixth place. The level on points with Millwall, who are one place above on goal difference, and level on points with Preston North End, who are level on goal uh, who are just behind on goal difference in seventh. Coventry are three points back in eighth. Sunderland four points back uh, in ninth. It's in Blackburn's hands still. Despite picking up one point from the last three games, nobody else is seizing this by the scruff of its neck either. Millwall have not scored in the last four games. They're starting to stutter as well. The good thing is there are two places up for grabs. So if Rovers can sort themselves out, it's not like they've got three teams hunting them for one spot. Millwall are very much just as vulnerable as Blackburn are at the moment. We spoke about option A and option B as you brought it up on the podcast probably six weeks ago. Blackburn in the typical fashion, as, as we all know and love, option B it is then. Statistically speaking, they've got the toughest running of any championship side when you take the average position of the opponents that they're playing. I think it's something like 8.7 is the average or something. Particularly once you get past the whole game, which is next up, that becomes even more so that they've got the toughest run. But I do think that point could be really important. It keeps them in the top six. They've got to take some confidence from that fight back and the manner of which they played for 70% of that game, all of the second half. And if they can take some of that spirit, that optimism that came from that second half onslaught, then they've, they're playing the teams around them and the teams around them equally. You look at Coventry, two points over the Easter weekend, drew both games, were 2-0 down against Watford. Sunderland, 4-0 draw against Hull, conceding the last kick of the game, not taking it by the scruff of the neck. Um, Norwich, draw at home to Rotherham after beating Rovers, missed opportunity. Millwall, only took one point, lose away at Hull City. Nobody is really grabbing this by the scruff of the neck, so I still, they shouldn't be in the position they are, but they are, and it's the almost the hope that keeps you, uh, that hurts the most, really. Hope that well, kills you. Well, it is. That's always been the way with Rovers. And what a fantastic late Easter present listening to those results coming in, travelling back from Huddersfield. So you're right, Elliot. We now absolutely have in front of us what we need to do, um, which is option B. After the Norwich game, I did a lot of just looking at the fixtures, looking at the table, looking at predictor leagues. And before the Huddersfield game, I was convinced that 72 points was um, was the magic number for playoffs, just with what you were asking the teams below Rovers to do. Sounds low, doesn't it? We thought it'd be a lot higher. I think we were yeah. saying 75, 76 probably before, just after the international bait three games ago. But people just haven't picked up points. No, they haven't. So it's definitely come down now. So before the Huddersfield game, 72 points was was the number for me because you're asking teams like Sunderland, Preston, Coventry, Norwich to win four or five out of their last six, which for me is just unlikely. And if they do that, then fair play to them. They absolutely deserve to make the top six. So for Rovers to hit 72 before Huddersfield, it was either four wins or three wins and two draws, which gets, gets us to 72. So we've got one of those draws. 
we now have right in front of us what we need to do before the season is up. Within our final six games, we need three wins and one draw to make the top six and get 72 points in my mind. The ideal results to pick up would be to beat Preston and to beat Coventry as immediate rivals in and around us and obviously to beat Hull as well, which I think now becomes psychologically a really important game, which I'll come on to in a moment. But yeah, absolutely. It is still within our hands. We just absolutely now know that we're doing it the more difficult way. The Hull game psychologically is important because we are the final team to play. And with who's playing who and, you know, the results that I expect to happen, Rovers are going to be outside the top six before we play that game against Hull. So psychologically, that is an important place for us to be. We cannot approach that game like we approached the Norwich game. We can't be tentative. We can't be on the back foot because as we saw on Good Friday, you will lose the crowd. Got to give the crowd something to shout about got to embody the spirit of what we saw second half against Huddersfield and really show the fans that we're going to go and attack Hull, get that win to give us the confidence to then go and attack the better sides like Coventry, like Preston, like Luton, like Millwall. So for me, Elliot, simple equation now, three wins, one draw, and I think Rovers make the top six. I think there's some favourable games as well. Luton, uh, sorry, not Luton, Millwall are playing Preston on Saturday, which... If uh, if Millwall were to beat Preston, they would obviously extend the post, but keep Rovers in sixth. I think Norwich have got Middlesbrough. Is that right? Have Norwich got Middlesbrough? On Friday, yeah. So oh, that's the Friday game as well. Again, if yeah. Middlesbrough were to win that. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility Rovers could still be in sixth before the whole game. Um, but it's going to be really interesting and it's a, it's a huge, huge match coming up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Right, Ryan, 7.45 kickoff. Thanks, thank you very much, Sky Sports. Hull City at home, simply must-win match. I said before the Huddersfield game, they needed a minimum of four points from the next two. They managed to rescue a point in West Yorkshire. They've simply got to beat Hull City, no excuses. Yeah, that's it now. Just pure and simple for all the stuff that I just said there previously, just the psychological element of this game and, and where we now find ourselves. Um, and if we don't win this game, it becomes really difficult. And then you actually then start exposing the Burnley game as a game where you need points in. And we don't want to be in that position. You know, as much as Rovers fans would love to hear me sit on this podcast and say, yeah, we're going to beat our local rivals. You know, let's just use our head for a moment. They are a good, good championship Take side. away local rivals and put <laughs> top of the league already promoted. 
exactly. So I'm I'm not writing the game off because I think anyone can beat anyone in the championship, as has been proven. Burnley has lost two games this season. I just don't want to be relying on that game. So I've just removed it from my thoughts and equations of how Rovers make top six for this moment in time. Absolutely, we could go into that game and get a draw or a win, but you know, let's just park that. So Hull, on paper, inverted commas, is our easiest game. Uh, going into you know the final throws of the season, and for all of those reasons that I've just said, you know, finding ourselves outside the top six, the fact that we've not won in how many games now in the championship, you know, we are just starting to form a little patchy run just at the wrong end of the season. So we need a win just to reignite the pilot light, if you want to call it that, um, and just get Rovers burning towards the end of the season. And actually, we can't limp over the line. You know, imagine if we limp over the line and make top six. You've got to be in some runner form in mm. the top six because you'll just get battered in the playoffs otherwise by a Middlesbrough or Luton. So important game for both the fans and the players, Elliot, and one where we have to get the win. Just have to. Team news will be interesting. Thomas Kaminsky back in goal for you. I think a lot of people are ready to have him back in the net. I don't think Ainsley Pears has done a lot wrong, if I'm being completely honest. I'm not blaming him, certainly, for either of the goals against Norwich. I'm not blaming him for either of the goals against Huddersfield, apart from his role in the build-up for the corner. But it ultimately, that didn't have to be a goal. They could have defended it better in the build-up to that. But I think a lot of people, you know, it was unanimous on my Twitter feed that Ainsley Pears should keep his place for Birmingham. And I agreed with that, personally. I put I put a poll out, I asked the question, who do you want in goal? Pairs was the unanimous choice, but I think I'm seeing increasingly, I don't know if it feels like there's been a few nerves almost in some of Pairs' work since Kaminsky came back with him breathing down his neck, that maybe it's time to, to bring Thomas back into goal. Yeah, and um, I've always been a big Thomas Kaminsky fan, as lots of Rovers fans will know. I absolutely love Thomas Kaminsky as a goalkeeper, but... Um, I think JDT has absolutely done the right thing in recent weeks. With Kaminsky's injury and the way that Pears has taken his opportunity, absolutely Ainsley Pears should have kept that shirt. And that's been consistent with JDT's approach all season with players that have found themselves in the, the under-23 side or under-21 side or whatever, and the fact that players haven't just walked back into the side. So I absolutely respect JDT's decision on all of this. It's really hard to change a goalkeeper when they've not actually made a mistake or done anything wrong in a game. So JDT has possibly not had the reason or the excuse to make the change back to Kaminsky and explain that to Ainsley Pears in a way that Ainsley Pears is going to understand. The other thing I'll just throw in is a little curveball as well. Who knows whether Thomas Kaminsky might just be touting himself around to other clubs. And if there is an element of uncertainty about Thomas Kaminsky as our number one in the long term, well, JDT has to keep Ainsley Pears happy in the short term so that we don't obviously find ourselves in a really sticky patch. But for me now, I think JDT has got what he needs from... Obviously, some people would think that Ainsley Pears has made mistakes in the Norwich game. I don't. But certainly in the Huddersfield game, I think top six, you need your number one goalkeeper. I think JDT has got what he needs now to say to Ainsley, right, Tommy Kay's coming back in and then let's just have no fanfare about it and lump pressure onto Thomas Kaminsky instead. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what sort of state Kaminsky's in as well. I know he obviously went away with Belgium, but he didn't have the greatest run of form before he got injured and then he's not played for Blackburn Rovers in two months. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of shape he's in. I'm really not a fan of chopping and changing goalkeepers, generally speaking. 
people say it's a nice problem to have. I disagree. I, I agree you need some element of competition, but managers that chop and change their goalkeeper and don't know who the number one is, I think it unsettles an entire back four. I think it makes everyone nervous. I don't like it generally. But that's not to say, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with going with Kaminsky. But I think if you put Kaminsky in, no matter what he does, really, he needs to be the goalkeeper for the rest of the season now. Or, or you stick with pairs. I think this is a, a line in the sand moment where you're picking your number one for the rest of the season now, in my opinion. In terms of the rest of the team, Hayden Carter need a rest, potentially. Scott Wharton in. Mm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think Carter's done. I think you're right to highlight the fact that Hyam and Carter possibly didn't have, you know, their best games. But I think <laughs> they touch the ball the most, don't they, in a Rovers side? Because you know, it's always Hyam, Carter, Carter, well, Hyam. Af- so. After you uh, asked about Tyler Morton, I had a quick Google and uh, on the stats sites, and yeah, it was Hyam and Carter had the most touches than Tyler Morton. Yeah, against yeah. Uh, Huddersfield. So they are obviously a really important part of how Rovers play. I don't think Carter's done anything wrong. To I know it was a, a bad error for the goal for for Huddersfield, but I don't. No, think I think it's that... more about keeping him fresh rather than dropping. Yeah. dropping. It's not dropping him. I think it would be rotating him. Yeah, I think if it was sold in the right way to not damage the lad's confidence, then yeah, I think you could make that argument. And then obviously you could bring Scott Wharton as a left-sided centre off, and then Dom Hyam as a right-sided centre off, but. Um, for me, I wouldn't do it. I think Carter and Hyam, like what you've just said about not chopping and changing your goalkeeper, I think you also need the established centre-back pairing. And I think that's the one that I'd just be trusting through to the end of the season now. Yeah, I agree. I just thought it was worth worth discussing. I think You're I absolutely with... right to do devil's advocate. I think I would <laughs> stick with Hayden Carter as well. What do you do in midfield? Spoke about the dilemma we've just discussed. I think for me, I would be taking Tyler Morton out, even though I've just said I think he played quite well and go with Travis Wharton and Smodix as my midfield three. Thomas back in on the right-hand side because they need that width on the right for me. Brereton on the left. Tyree Stolen up front. Yeah, I think if we want a front foot performance, you need front foot players. So Sorba Thomas, Adam Wharton, Tyree Stolen, Brereton Diaz, these are all front foot players that allow you to really go and attack Hull and obviously get the crowd on board and and hopefully get a convincing win as well. So, yeah, I'm perfectly happy with those selections. And Sam Smodich, of course, is also a front foot player, if you want to Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought Smodich tried his best against Norwich. I thought he was one of the better players against Norwich. I thought he struggled a little bit against Huddersfield. I I know what I want to ask you. I'm adamant that Smodich, the foul he got booked for, was a foul. Everyone seems to think it wasn't. He went through the man before the ball when he got booked. Do you not think? You possibly had a better angle just on the side of yeah, the pitch. It was on the, yeah, it was. From where we were behind the goal, it did look like a really clean tackle, which is why I the reaction I think I'm the only person that thinks it was a booking because everyone else <laughs> I spoke to said no chance. But he goes through the man first, then gets the ball. I think it was a yellow card. I digress anyway. Um, score predictions, Ryan. What are you going for for this one? I've just got to back the lads, haven't I? Um, but I think it's not going to be a convincing win. Um I do think we'll be on the front foot, but I think it'll only be 1-0. I think we'll do it in the Rovers' true keeping it nervy type fashion. But yeah, 1-0 Rovers. I'd love it to be 2 or 3-0. I really would. I think a confidence-boosting win in that manner would do wonders for the fans and the players at this stage of the season. But I do think there'll be an element of nerves about it. But I fancy us to get the job done. So I'll say 1-0 Rovers. I'm going 2-1 to Blackburn. I think 2-0 up, concede a late goal. Everyone craps themselves. 
just had to say that, didn't you? Well, I said 1-0, so it could but, equally but just be 1-0. But they see it out. They see it out, crucially. So we're both going for wins in what is a must-win game against Hull City. Tweet us your score predictions at Inside Brockle. We'll round off now, Ryan, with our Rovers riddle. Last week's was, it was a little limerick, and I've got another one for you this week. Um, he's a striker, skilled with his feet. His surname's a field where horses compete. His first name is short, like a gentle tap. Put them together and you've got the chap. Any ideas? Absolutely no idea, unless we had someone called, like, Shove Racecourse or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Shove Racecourse. You've got it. <laughs> Experienced striker shove Rafe course. It was in fact Matt Derbyshire. So how does the shear work? Is that the horse? Is he playing on Shire horse? Derby, obviously, yeah, the Derby for. Okay, that's a clever one. We'll yeah, give him that. A few people got that um, and tweeted us. So well done to those who did. Got another limerick this week. Um, so. From the Emerald Isle, I came to play at Ewood Park to make my name. It was Tom's dad who signed me. He didn't last long. The villain who loaned me my final swan song. I think I'll be able to work that out once I've seen it written down. That's this week's Rovers Riddle. Tweet us at Inside Brockle with your guesses and um, we'll see if Ryan gets it on next week's podcast. But that rounds up a bumper episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed in your chosen app and make sure you're following us on Twitter at Inside Brockle. It's been a, a, an interesting week for Blackburn Rovers over the Easter weekend. I hope you've enjoyed us breaking it down over the last hour or so. And hopefully in the final six games, we'll have plenty of optimism to talk about on next week's pod in what is a, a huge game against Hull City. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you again next week.